Today, we bring you an unsolved quadruple homicide from the 1980s, and we discuss two-way communication between the physical plane and the spiritual plane of the afterlife, and a possible yaoi sighting? Those stories and more on this episode, which starts now. You're listening to The Mr. Cemetery Show, the podcast that's dedicated to the dark corners of the world. From weird news to historical oddities and the unexplained mysteries, here's your host, Mr. Cemetery. Hello and welcome back to the show, you sick, twisted freaks. Thanks for joining us today. This is The Mr. Cemetery Show. And I'm Josh. Hello, my lovelies. Hello, my lovelies. And I'm Krista. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's going to be like that for you today, huh? If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that's dedicated to all things creepy. Join us each Friday for a new episode of some weird fun facts, some weird news, and some creepy haunting stories that are all mixed with enough wackiness that you won't have to sleep with your little nightlight on. I'd also like to remind everyone that Alfred Hitchcock was frightened of eggs. What? Yes, the master of suspense who terrified audience with movies like Psycho and The Birds considered himself an ovophobe. Someone frightened of eggs. Maybe that's why he didn't like birds. Oh, could be. Mm-hmm. That would mm-hmm. make some sense. He made that movie. I'm assuming he didn't like birds. Yeah. <laughs> could be. Could be. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock explained in an interview in 1963, I'm frightened of eggs. Worse than frightened. They revolt me. That white round thing without any holes and you break into it and then there's a yellow thing round without any holes. Ugh. Blood is just jolly, red, but egg yolk is yellow and it's revolting. I've never tasted it. Weird. Yeah, I agree. Eggs are weird. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying then? Eggs are good. Eggs suck. The fact that he didn't like it because there's no holes is weird. Yeah, I, I, I can see your point. I can see his point, too. I'm going with his point, though. You would. Eggs suck. Suck eggs. Your face is a suck egg. <laughs> your face is a rotten egg. What? Your face is a green egg. I don't know. <laughs> it's the same thing as a rotten egg. I had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> went dr seuss <laughs> dr seuss all up on your ass <laughs> damn huh. all right then you win with the dr seuss all up in the ass can't beat that what the hell am i supposed to do with that don't be squaring up on me <laughs> oh it's gonna be a long episode for you mm. all right did you know on this day january 7th in 1618, Francis Bacon becomes Lord Chancellor of England. I like bacon. Bacon's delicious. Yes. Crispy, crunchy. And in 1970, farmers sue Max Yasker for $35,000 in damages caused by the Woodstock Festival. They were big pest. Yeah? Yeah. It was a very messy thing. Yeah. They were big pest because they got their farms tore up by all the hippies. Yeah. I thought they agreed to it, though. Yeah. I guess I don't really know that much about it. They did. What did they decide? Fuck it. Let's say. Sure. Okay. Big jerks. Mm-hmm. And in 1998, former White House intern Monica Lewinsky signs an affidavit denying she had an affair with President Bill Clinton. Liar. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. What are you saying? I'm saying liar. You can quote me on that. I will. 
I will quote <laughs> you as saying that she's a liar. She's a liar. <laughs> that was, I remember, that was like all over the news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was funny. like a big deal. What was, how oh, I forget saying that. I don't remember what it is now. And on this day in 1943, we lost Nikola Tesla, electrical and mechanical engineer. He was famous for alternating current, high voltage, and high-frequency power experiments. He died January 7, 1943, at the age of 86, of coronary thrombosis. You like you some Nikola Tesla. Yeah, he's all right. You're, you're a Tesla man. I am. He's pretty cool, dude. Yeah. Yeah. He liked pigeons. <laughs> he liked him some pigeons. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of weird. Kind of weird. He was a weird guy. He was weird, but I liked him. I like weird people. I'm a weird person. Mm -hmm. Some say. Some. Everyone. Some. It's some. All. Okay. I don't think I've ever met anybody who said, Josh is a normal guy. You know, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Because <laughs> I've never heard that either. Yeah. <laughs> i heard, well, Josh is fucking weird. Mm -hmm. Well. What the fuck are you doing with that guy? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what he did? <laughs> uh, Let me tell you some stories. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't need to tell those stories on here. <laughs> if you have a personal haunted spooky or just plain weird story that you would like to share with us, send it to us at the Mrs. Cemetery Show at gmail.com. There's a link in the show notes. So send us your stories today. It's time for some weird news. Terrified forest workers insist they ran to a Bigfoot-like Yowie on deserted road. Three terrified forest workers claim they spotted what they believed was a Yowie while on their way home in a remote town in Australia. Seamus Fitzgerald and two mates were driving back to work on a plantation field when they caught sight of an ape-like figure at the side of the road. He claimed the mysterious creature stood up and looked at them. He had an ape-like face and a dark red hair or fur. Seamus said, we initially thought it was a boar or a really big animal until we got a closer look and saw it run off in a very ape-like way. I've never seen an ape run. Mm, me neither. I wonder if they said, Yowie, look! That's why it's a Yowie. You see it and you say, Yowie! Run away. <laughs> he also stated, I never really had a paranormal or strange experience like that before. I hardly slept that night and the feelings were so overwhelming that I had seen something that I have never believed in previously. The three plantation workers said that they had told others in town what they have witnessed and were told it could be a yaoi. Could have been a kangaroo. Could have been a kangaroo? Pigaroo? I mean, pig. They said it looked like a, they thought it was a pig. I think they're on drugs. Josh? Yes. Did you go to Australia without telling me? Um. Oof. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dang. Couldn't help it. Your doctor seussed me. Now you're calling me a yowie. I'm being mean today. See, told you people she's mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never. <laughs> I'd have had a tutu on, though. If I did. This is true. I believe that. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but now I want to dress as a yowie and a tutu. You did ballerina dance in the middle of Walmart one time. Yeah, I did. I did it really well. You did. But we got the attention of some workers there, and they helped us. That's true. It worked. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted me gone. <laughs> Sick of it. 
The Mr. Cemetery Show will return after these messages. Are you in the spine-tingling crime stories? The Krista McKibben's Hatchet Man book is for you. It's a chilling tale set in the 1800s about one of America's earliest serial killers, whose disturbing crimes occurred in both Ohio and Maryland. The book also includes a full trial and confession as told by the Baltimore Sun. Hatchet Man by Krista McKibben is available on paperback and Kindle, only at Amazon.com. Do you like coffee like we do? Try our friends over at Sinister Coffee and Creamery. Sinister Coffee was founded in 2018 and has been a woman-owned business from the very beginning. Their beans are prepared in small batches to ensure a perfect roast. Sinister Coffee and Creamery also offer coffee subscriptions delivered to your door as often as you like. They offer weekly, monthly, quarterly, or however you like. Don't believe us? Order a small batch of organic coffee today and try it for yourself. And use our special discount code CEMETERY10 to save 10% off your order. Again, that code is CEMETERY10. Now, back to the Mr. Cemetery Show. And we're back. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And give us a rate and review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because apparently you can rate over there now. Oh, neat. So if you can help out the show, give us a rate and review. And guess what? Mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Green eggs and ham. That. And. <laughs> you go first. I go first, but I'm going to draw you in on it. <laughs> oh, hope you got a big piece of paper. <laughs> so my topic is instrumental transcommunication. It's not so much of a story as a discussion topic. So feel free to jump in any probably will you'll probably have some comments on this yeah i don't jump though too fat to jump crest make you yeah <laughs> every time uh, <laughs> <laughs> instrumental transcommunication also known as itc is a really simple concept all itc is is using technology or some sort of technological gadget to attempt to communicate with beyond that simple. For example, recording EVP is the most common and the most popular method of ITC. The 2005 movie White Noise starring Michael Keaton is a good example of some different methods of ITC. Although the plot leaves little something to be desired, it's not a terrible movie, but just not really a great one either. Yeah. Since we don't know for certain what exactly we are communicating with, ITC should be used with caution because we don't know if it's harmless or not. Also, there is a huge problem of pareidolia. Pareidolia is a psychological phenomenon involving the stimulus wherein the mind perceives a familiar pattern of something where none actually exists. Seeing a cloud in the shape of a face is an example of this. Our mind makes out the face in the cloud, but we know it's not really a giant face in the sky. This phenomenon also works on our other senses as well, like hearing and smell. And it's something ghost hunters should be very mindful of, but many are not. There are many methods of ITC, and as I mentioned before, EVP or electronic voice phenomenon is the most common and popular. EVP is anomalous voices often believed to be of supernatural origin, reportedly heard on audio recordings during playback. The white noise method works with both video and audio. 
With video, you need to get a television set onto a UHF station or some other channel that has no broadcast, so all that you see is static. And it probably has to be like a really old TV because I'm pretty sure they all just blue screen now. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sickening. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> I do too. Um, most likely an older television. Then all you need to do is simply point your camera at it and record. You can even ask questions if you like. After your session is over, look at the video frame by frame to see if any anomalies appear. For audio, it's basically the same concept. Set your radio to a station with no signal so that you only get the shh sound. That is your white noise. Then just do your EVP recording that you normally do. The idea is that whatever you're communicating with can use the noise to build off of and make their own sounds or images. Another method is the feedback loop. With this method, you hook your video camera up to your television and set it to record. Your television is showing what your camera is seeing. Your camera is pointed at your television, creating a feedback loop. You'll want to zoom in and record the blurry, cloudy images that are produced. Afterwards, you'll want to check every frame for anomalies. Water ITC is another method that is relatively easy and in a way somewhat of a combination of scrying and ICC. All you need is a container of water and a camera. Tap the side of the container to make a ripple effect while taking multiple pictures or video and afterwards view the images one frame at a time. You may see all sorts of images appear such as people, animals, and even places. A good, yes. Yeah. A good friend of ours got the spitting image of her father when we first experimented with this method. Yeah, I seen it first because I, I knew him. Yeah. And, you know, she was doing it, and I'm like, oh, shit, because I, I seen it. Yeah. I seen his face, and she's like, what's wrong? And I didn't say what I saw, and we went back and looked at the photo, and she just started bawling. It's, yeah, I remember she just straight up said, that's my dad. Yeah. And I was just kind of looking at it, and I'm, okay. And so she pulled up his picture. Yeah. And I'm like. Holy crap, that is your dad. It was dead on. <laughs> yeah, it was a him. good image. Usually they're not that clear. That one was, that yeah. was a good image. This is a fun method. And definitely allows for creativity. You can experiment with lighting, different containers. I've seen some people putting stones in the bowl and taping colored construction paper to the ceiling just to add more color and depth to the images. I saw one guy say that his best images were done outside. Recently, I experimented with Steam and gotten a couple pictures, which I do think happen to be on my Instagram page. I never really mess with. Yeah, slacker. <laughs> I know. Terrible. There are also some items out there that are specifically designed for ITC, but I'm somewhat skeptical about them, especially the more expensive ones. One main reason is I like to be open-minded about the possibility of the spirit world but skeptical enough to remain grounded and not be an overly superstitious idiot. That balance is sometimes a struggle, but I'm not going to sink several hundred dollars on a device that I'm not 100% sure on. I can spend my money on a video camera because it has another purpose, and I will get its use that way. Things like the Spirit Box and the Ovilus are designed specifically to toss out random words that may or may not come from the great beyond. And while I'd love to play with one, I'm not just shelling out that kind of dough for it. Yeah. I mean, they look like a fun toy. I'd love to mess around with one, but they're, they, they're very pricey. Too high for what they are. Yeah. Uh, which brings me to the other side of the coin. There are multiple of free apps out there that do the same thing as the Ovulus and probably work just as well. 
I've played with a few, and I haven't seen anything especially paranormal, personally. Just a bunch of random words that maybe occasionally you can mentally make a connection with, but it's like one or two words out of a hundred. So to me, it's just wishful thinking. And that's all I have for this subject. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't trust the apps. I don't trust, I don't trust a lot of that. There's a lot of stuff that I, I don't trust. Now. No. Sometimes manual. Yes. <laughs> I guess, you know, like a lot of the digital things are just too faulty, too easily manipulated. Yeah. Like the, like the water thing, that's, that's hard to... Well, it's, I mean, you're just taking pictures of water. reflections in the water, yeah. so... And we've seen a lot of, we've done that a few times. We yeah. actually need to do that you get a, Yeah, it's pretty fun. You get a lot of different pictures, and which that, too, has a pareidolia effect all yeah. over it. But some of them, like I said, a girl's dad. Was, yeah. I mean... We've got a few good very, faces out there. Yeah, we got... They're straight faces. Some pretty good ones that are... I, can't see any other way around i mean like that one guy that was like a civil war soldier or something you know he had the suit the buttons yeah it was so i forgot about that guy yeah never got no jesus in my toast though so. never got a jesus in the toast or on a dorito no <laughs> he Sad appears there. in food a lot yeah jesus not sure is what hungry. that's about <laughs> he's hungry he got the munchies yeah well most of us think we know what kind of people our neighbors are, but in every town, no matter how small, it has dark and violent secrets. It doesn't get much smaller than Ketty, a Northern California resort community surrounded by a dense forest with a population of less than 100 people. In 1981, it became the setting of a gruesome quadruple homicide that is still officially classified as unsolved. But a closer look at the evidence reveals that the murderers may have gotten away with a crime due to a botched police investigation and possible cover-up. This is the true story of the massacre in Cabin 28. It's April 11, 1981, and 36-year-old Gina Sue Sharp is spending an evening at home with her 12-year-old daughter Tina, her 10-year-old son Greg, and 5-year-old son Rick, as well as her 12-year-old friend Justin Smart. They were watching an episode of The Love Boat and generally having a quiet evening. They lived in Cabin 28 in the small community of Keddy located seven miles north of Quincy, California, and Plumas County. It was formerly a busting resort, but in the early 1980s, the resort had largely been abandoned, and the cabins were being rented out by low-income families. The three-bedroom cabin is a welcome break for Sue, who had been thrown out of her former house by her abusive husband a year earlier, and had been living in a trailer before moving to Ketty. Her oldest daughter, Sheila, is spending the night at her neighbor's cabin, like she typically does on Saturday nights. Sue's oldest son, 15-year-old John, and his 17-year-old friend, Dana Wingate, are trying to hitchhike their way back to Ketty after spending the day in nearby Quincy. They are last spotted on the road between 9 and 10.15 p.m. Back in Cabin 28, the young kids go to bed, and Sue stays up watching TV. Sometime during the night, two intruders enter the home. They do so without force, either because Sue lets them in, or because the cabin door is unlocked. The intruders bind Sue's hands and feet with appliance wire, and gag her with her own pair of panties. She is then stabbed repeatedly and also bludgeoned with a Daisy Powerline 880 rifle. It's unclear whether Johnny and Dana are home at this time or whether they walk in later, but either way, they are bound with medical tape and wire. Dana is strangled to death by hand and bludgeoned. John is stabbed and also bludgeoned. The victims suffer blows from at least two hammers, a steak knife, and a butcher knife. Steak knife had been used with such force that the blade bent at a 25 degree angle. For an unknown reason, the intruders leave the three small boys sleeping in the bedroom unharmed. Even more mysterious, Tina is taken from the cabin. The next morning on April 12, 1981, 
Sheila Sharp returns to the cabin in order to fetch clothes for church when she walks in on the crime scene. Horrified, she runs back to the neighbor's cabin and alerts them. Sheila and the cabin's matriarch, Seneda Siebold, rush across the street to cabin 25, where the resort owner lives. Together, they contact the Plumas County Sheriff's Office. Sheila, Zanita, and Zanita's eldest son, Jamie, return to cabin 28. They go around back and knock on the boys' bedroom window. To their surprise, the boys are completely unharmed. Jamie helps Greg, Rick, and Justin out of the window and then goes back upstairs. He finds the back door open, but the cabin is silent and empty, apart from the dead bodies. The police arrive and find bloody fingerprints on the bottom post of the stairwell leading to the back door, blood on the door handle of Sue's car, stab marks on the wall of the living room, and a large amount of blood splatter. The intruders had cut the phone cord in the girl's bedroom, but they hadn't taken anything ruling out the possibility that it was a robbery. Curiously, Sue's body was the only one covered up with a blanket. In the garbage can of a nearby store, police find bloody tissues, a red-handled pocket knife, a cardboard box with blood on it, and toilet paper twisted at the end. Three years after the murder, fragments of Tina's skull and bones are discovered by a bottle collector searching for antiques in a remote area called Camp 18 near Feather Falls, California. Suspicion quickly fell on two town men, Martin Smart, who was the neighbor of Sue living in cabin 26 with his wife Marilyn, and Beau Bidet, who Marty had met at a VA hospital where he was being treated for PTSD. Martin, Beau, and Marilyn were questioned after the murders, and according to their statements, they had stopped by cabin 28 on the day of the murders in order to invite Sue out for drinks. She declined their invitation, so they went to the bar without her. At the bar, Marty became angry over the music that was playing, and all three of the men went back to their cabin. Marilyn claimed that she went to bed shortly after. Marty said he made a phone call to the bar to complain about the music once again, and then headed back there with Bo. Marty was reportedly a friend with Plumas County Sheriff Doug Thomas, and was rumored to have lived there with him for a short time, although Thomas has denied both claims. There's rumor that the sheriff also told the two men to get out of town. Bo had lied to the police about being a former officer, which may have been a part of the reason the police were so lenient when he was questioned. In a bizarre twist, he attempted to shift the blame on Justin, but the police never seriously believed that a 12-year-old could have committed the murders. Marty also made a strange, unprompt claim that he was missing a hammer with a blue handle. Years later, in 2016, a hammer matching the description was found by a man metal detecting near the site of the murders. The Department of Justice eventually gave the men a polygraph test, which they passed. However, the nature of the test and reliability of the agents has also been called into question. The Department of Justice was also contacted years after the murders by Marty's therapist, who said that Marty had confessed to killing Sue and Tina because Sue had been encouraging Marilyn to leave him. But this was another threat that was left unexplored by the agents. After Tina's remains were discovered, but before they were actually identified with dental records, the sheriff's dispatcher received an anonymous call. The caller said, Hello, I was watching the news and they were talking about how they found a skull at Feather Falls and they asked for any help. The dispatcher said yes. The caller said, And I was wondering if they thought the murders up in Ketty in Plumas County a couple years ago, there was a 12-year-old girl. She was never found. Tape was never admitted into evidence and was only rediscovered recently at the bottom of a box in an unopened envelope in the investigation file. Justin's regulation of the events has wavered through the years. It's believed that he had possibly witnessed the murders, but he had either blocked out the memory of the attacker's identity due to emotional trauma or was being misled in the fear that his stepfather would harm him. He gave the description of the suspects while under hypnosis and even gave detailed accounts of the murders, which he claimed to have seen in a dream. 
The final piece of evidence that was recently discovered was a letter written by Marty to Marilyn shortly after the crime. It read, I paid the price for your love and that I bought it with four people's lives and you tell me we're through? Great. What else do I do now? Marilyn claims not to remember reading the letter, but has confirmed that the handwriting belongs to her husband who passed away in 2006. Beau Bidet died in 1988. It seems though as the Ketty murders are closer than ever as being solved, and maybe one day soon there will be justice for Sue Sharp and her family. If you're interested in learning more about this case, I highly suggest visiting ketty28.com where you'll find a lot more details and in-depth description of this case. Yeah, this is a really crazy case. It, yeah, there's there's a lot to it. Yeah. I just try to, to sum it all up. But yeah. There, there really is a lot to it, and I've looked into this one myself. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Seems like crappy police work. Yeah. Seems like a rowdy bunch of characters, and I think cops just didn't really give a crap. Yeah, they just didn't give a shit. Everything points that he did it. You know, Marty. Is that the kid's dad? I was trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because that's kind of who I've, yeah. I'm leaning towards. That's yeah. why the, the boys didn't die. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence that points to it. Like, he yeah. admitted to it a few times. And I get all their names mixed up when I'm going through it all. There's a lot of characters in the... Yeah, there's a lot of people. But, yeah, I was always kind of leaning towards that kid's dad. Yeah, he left town, like, right after it for a few months. And yeah. There was a lot of stuff that went down. Definitely check out. I'm sure, but I don't think he was alone, though. No. I think he had one or two other people helping. Yeah. Well, Bo. Yeah. Definitely weird. Definitely sad. It tore the house down a few years ago. Uh, yeah. The cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. You know, no one. Destroying stuff anyway. No one wanted to stay in the cabin. Right. After that happened. And they just eventually tore it down. Which sucks. I'm sure there's stuff they missed in there. Oh, probably. But at this point in time. They've already let people in it, or people's broken into it. Yeah. So, yeah. All just evidence probably pretty well destroyed anyway. Yeah, the oldest daughter, Sheila, she's she's still trying to investigate it. Like, Oh, yeah. She's the one that found them, right? Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. They got, like, stuff that I've seen. It's like a whole wall of stuff. She's still trying to track down stuff. Solve like it. That. Yeah. It's just a mess. Sad story. It really is. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Mr. Cemetery Show. Become a funeral friend and help support the podcast. For only $5 a month, you get access to behind-the-scenes content, signed photographs of Mr. Cemetery's grave photography, and so much more. So check that out over on our Instagram for more details. For all things Mr. Cemetery, head over to the flow.page forward slash Mr. Cemetery. Until next time, I'm Josh. And I'm Krista. Thanks for listening to the Mr. Cemetery Show. Remember, kids, stay creepy. See ya!